Welcome in, everybody, to a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I shouldn't sing, but I try. I like it just because I feel the groove. I feel the vibe. And I got a good vibe going tonight on Wednesday's show. Appreciate you being here. I'm John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter, and host for the proceedings, as I have been. This is now my eighth season doing every single Wednesday night show from 6 to 8, Texans All Access, and I appreciate you guys being here. We got a jam-packed show for you tonight. We're going to hear from Nick Casario for his weekly interview with Mark and myself talking about this trip to New York, whether he likes wings, which my guess is no, but we got all kinds of things to talk to about Nick Casario, so we'll have that. Matty Glab is going to join us from buffalobills.com for our Enemy Sidelines interview of the week with our good friend D.P. Sidhu. We're also going to have our Men Behind the Mics segment, which is one of my faves every single week, especially when it's somebody that we've gotten to know over the years, and that is the case. Well, we all know Mark Vandermeer. Well, he sits down with our friend John Murphy, the play-by-play voice of the Buffalo Bills. Drew Dory's going to stop by for our In the Lab podcast. We've got a little Houston Methodist minutes and a little bit around the league, including a note on the Tennessee Titans star receivers, plural, two receivers. Could possibly possibly, and more, it sounds like, probably, missing the game this week against the Jets. The Jets? Why could this have been last week against the Colts? Although I don't think it matters because they still have Derrick Henry on the football. But either way, we got a lot for you on the show this evening, and we're going to kick it off with a little bit of knowledge, some hot reads, and we're going to start with the injury report. I mean, who doesn't want to start with the injury report on a Wednesday, but it's a big deal because of some of the key players that were missing in the game last Thursday that you kept your fingers crossed. Man, if I show up for Wednesday practice, am I going to see those guys? And the answer, did I see them? Yes. Did I see all of them? No. So here we go. Injury report. Pretty important one. You had three guys out today. Number one was Danny Amendola. Did not participate. He's dealing with a thigh issue. Terrence Mitchell's a big one. And Coach talked about him. We'll get a little bit more from Coach Cully on Terrence Mitchell a little bit later. But he was in the concussion protocol. But he missed today because he was uh, feeling ill. Uh, came down with illness, so he did not participate. Neither did Scotty Phillips, also dealing with with an illness. Limited participants, and there are two big ones here. Actually, there's three big ones. One's a new one, but two of them, because they didn't play and how important they've been to this team thus far, that would be Kamu Grugier-Hill with a knee and Justin Reed also with a knee. They were limited participants, saw both of them at practice. And look, we get a chance to see on the first 25, 30 minutes of practice, and they, they stretch, activate, Then they go and they do individual for a couple periods. So we don't get to see a ton, but just watching him move around was a good sign. Now, the other one that I saw come up, because I saw him out of practice, so I know he was there, and that's Justin Britt. He was also a limited participant dealing with a thigh issue. Hopefully, my gosh, to go to a game without Justin Britt and Tyrod Taylor. I mean, going to the game without Tyrod Taylor, that's one thing. But going without Tyrod Taylor... And Justin Britt would be quite another. So hopefully JB is going to be okay. 
uh, and that's not going to be a lingering issue that hinders him as we get ready for the Buffalo Bills. Now, on the Buffalo Bills side of things, you had four DMPs, but three of them were veteran rest days, including Mario Addison, defensive end, Cole Beasley, wide receiver, and a name we all know, Taiwan Jones, one of the architects of one of the greatest plays in Texans football history. Also did not participate, and this is one to keep an eye on, Jordan Poyer, ankle. I have gone on record. You can see it in my Know Your Foe article. Go check it out at HoustonTexans.com. I think the safety combination of Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde is as good a safety duo as you're going to find in the league. It, it, it just is. I mean, you look around the league and you're like, okay, Green Bay, Darnell Savage, Adrian Amos, good, not in, the, not in that class uh, with Poyer and Hyde. Those guys have been together, I think, for five seasons now, um, and it shows in the way they play. Jordan Poyer did not participate due to an ankle. Limited participants for the Bills. John Feliciano did participate dealing with an illness, but it was on a limited basis. The other safety, Micah Hyde, you know, the quad and Teron Johnson, the nickel, who had the 101-yard interception return in the playoff game against Baltimore last year, dealing with a groin. So, number of starters on the injury report, but it's Wednesday, so don't lose sleep over it. I'm not losing sleep over it uh, until we get a little bit later in the week, get to Friday, get the status report. But some good news on at least the Texans, especially Terrence Mitchell. I hate seeing him ill. But Coach did mention that he was potentially going to be ready to go on Sunday. And speaking of Coach, let's hear from Coach, and let's hear him discuss some of the injury issues this team has. And and I don't know, issues always sound sort of bad, but they were issues on Thursday because of a few key guys that didn't play. So here's Coach Cully talking about a number of those players that were injured and what their potential status will be going forward. Just to read, he's day-to-day. Our, our kicker will kick today, and we'll we'll see how he is. Terrence uh, Mitchell's been a little sick, but uh, he'll, he'll be okay. Uh, I don't know how much he'll do today, but uh, he's had a little, a little bug, but uh, he'll be available. Uh, but for the most part, all the other guys are fine and ready to go. Uh, he, on a limited basis, you know, in practice today. We're hoping he'll be full goal come Sunday. Now, those defensive players are going to be facing one of the best quarterbacks in the league. This guy is going to be up for the league MVP. His name is Josh Allen. He is 6'6", 240. He can throw the ball through a brick wall, and he then could probably run on the other side and catch it. He's that fast. He's as dynamic with the ball as any other Bills ball carrier. So when he tucks it and runs, it's a scary, scary thought. Now, his quarterback's coach, when he was a rookie, was one David Cully. And coach was asked, you know, he had, and he was pretty awful as a rookie, and he's become really good. What did you think of him, coach? I wouldn't say he was one of the worst. I think he was a rookie, you know, oh, yeah. and was learning, you know, was learning. And uh, you knew at that time when he was, was, was growing. And actually, you know, we didn't start him right away. We started another guy, and uh, he ended up becoming a quarterback, I think, real quickly after the first ball game or during the first ball game. But you knew developmentally that he was going to become what he has become right now, just with time, you know, and there was a fundamental things that he needed to correct. And it's obviously he's corrected those right now. And he's playing at a very high level right now. I felt bad for Aaron Reese from the Athletic because he's the one who asked that question. And I don't think he meant it 
as, you know, he was the worst. You know, look, he was a rookie. Rookies, rookies make mistakes. They make a lot of mistakes. And when Josh was a rookie, he still was working through all that Wyoming Cowboy Josh Allen stuff. He was trying to work through that and kind of break the chains of all of that, and he eventually did that after the playoff game uh, against the Texans, a loss where the second half he kind of turned into Wyoming Josh again. He's kind of left all that behind, and now he has become Buffalo Bills Pro Bowl quarterback Josh Allen, and he is certainly a guy that Davis Mills would like to emulate at some point. Nobody knows this Buffalo environment more than Coach Cully, and he wants Davis to get himself off on the right foot. You know, basically get off to a good, fast start. You know, be comfortable in, in what he's doing and stay the course when adversity happens. And I feel like he'll do that because he's shown that. But basically, he just needs to just go out and execute the offense and do what he's asked to do and get us in the end zone. And, and I, I feel like that, uh, you know, he'll be able to do that because of uh, having a game and a half now under his belt. Uh, you know, we're going to run the offense and let him execute it and see what happens. Davis Mills' first career start was against Carolina Panthers. The number one defense in the league in every single category. I mean, <laughs> nothing like starting against a stout defense like that. And you're like, all right, I got all that experience against them. Let me go out here against a defense that is basically second or third in the NFL in DVOA. My goodness. This Bills defense is it's, – it's not the 85 Bears – but, man, this defense is good. They are good at every single level. They're stout up front with Starla Tulele. They and Ed Oliver, they're great on the edges with Jerry Hughes and Greg Russo. The linebackers of Tremaine Edmonds and Matt Milano are outstanding. The nickel Tron Johnson's really coming into his own. Uh, Travis White is one of the best corners in the league. Levi Wallace is one of the more slept-on guys in the league, and I think Mar Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer, as I said earlier, are two of the best corners in the league. This defense is outstanding, and they're led by Leslie Frazier. Here's what Coach had to say about this Bills defense that Davis Mills will be facing on Sunday. They can be very multiple. They will pressure you. I know this on third down. I know we expect they're going to play man coverage every third down because that's what he's always done. They like blitzing five guys. I know with a rookie quarterback, I know he's not going to sit back and just let four guys, you know, rush the passer. I know he's going to add an extra guy just to see how he can handle it, and, and we'll be ready for that. Of course, getting an opportunity to coach against his former team, David Culley was asked about being a head coach, and Leslie Frazier was one of the other finalists up for being a head coach. These two are very, very close, and Coach kind of detailed the hiring process, and he said he wasn't totally sure he was getting the job. In fact, he was not convinced until Cal McNair called him and said, you're our guy, that he was actually the guy. I never at any point during that process until Cal told me I was going to be the head coach that I felt like I was going to be the head coach here. Now, at, no end, at no time during the whole process that I ever feel comfortable. Twice while I was here during the interview, I thought I was going back home, and uh, I was still here. Why uh, was I thought you were going back home? Uh, because I was never told anything. Uh, as a matter of fact, I believe at one point, Leslie and I were here at the same time. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what the timetable was, but I think we're here at one time. You know, speaking of him, you know, he's actually in this business, one of my closest friends. So when you were talking about the job, what you do? Uh, I prayed and said, thank you, Lord. Yeah, whenever your team hires somebody new, especially in that sort of capacity, in a general manager capacity, we have both of them with Nick Casario's GM and David Culley uh, as the head coach. There's always trepidation like, man – you know, no matter what the previous staff was or wasn't, 
it's just it's new and so you just you never know you never know until you have an opportunity to be around those particular individuals and I am so glad that Cal McNair made the decision to go get Nick Casario and then follow up with David Culley these two men have been so incredibly um, easy to work with uh, to work alongside Uh, they they do the things that you know for us from our standpoint um, they always try to make work easy for us. They contribute in every way, shape, or form. Uh, I absolutely love the fact that they're here, and I think they have worked very, very well together uh, to try and put the best product on the field in 2021 uh, and beyond. So those two men, I am so glad they ended up uh, here in Houston. General Manager Nick Casarian, of course, head ball coach David Culley. Just great to have both of them here. All right, that's your Head coach, audio jukebox, with his time at the podium today on Wednesday. All right, we get back. The aforementioned GM, Nick Casario, is going to sit down with us and tell us where to get the best wings in Buffalo. No, I'm kidding. I don't know that Nick's ever had a chicken wing in his life. If he has, he'd tell us. But we went into more of the Buffalo Bills than Buffalo Wings next on Texans All Access. 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 Last week, Drew and I were talking about what we did after a night game. You get back, it's, I don't know, 11.30, 12.30. I don't know what time I ended up leaving. But if the game is relatively early and I can get out of NRG Stadium at some decent time, I like to head down to my local Freddy's. Freddy's Frozen Custard and Steak Burgers is all about the good and creating more of it. More drive through celebrations, more road trips around the block, more family dinners and lunches, more car picnics and desserts. The turtle concrete is outstanding. Maybe even more second desserts. I eat cheese curds as one of my desserts, so you can get those there. More being together as much as we can with 17 area locations in the Houston area. Freddy's keep the good going with a taste that brings you back. Now, one guy that we're going to have to work on to get to go to Freddy's because it's really not in his eating repertoire. And we found that out the very first day he was in Houston uh, when he claimed that he a, ate like Tom Brady. B, had not had barbecue. Uh, so my guess is he hasn't been at Freddy's, but he probably should be, and that's GM Nick Casario. Each week we get an opportunity to catch up with the GM of your Houston Texans football club. And here was our chat with Nick this week. Joining us right now on Texans Radio, it's Texans General Manager Nick Casario. Nick, great to have you with us. How you doing? Good morning. Good to be here with you guys. Long weekend. Is that the right way of looking at it? Yeah. Mini buy. How was that for you? It was good, really, for the players. It's an opportunity for them to kind of get a couple extra days of rest and yeah. kind of catch up on some things. So um, there's plenty for us to do relative to looking at the next opponent. So uh, clean some things up after the game Friday. Uh, took some time on Saturday, work on some things, and Sunday with the Buffalo game, and then kind of Monday, and here we are into game week. So asked this of uh, Coach the other day, too. Watching the TV broadcast, just the TV broadcast, how much can you get from that? It's a good question, John. There are certain things that you can see from a big picture perspective and maybe hear something relative to what they're talking about. But then the nuts and bolts of it, you're going to get on the actual film when you go through the breakdown and can kind of see some of the more nuances and the intricacies. So any information or any viewing is beneficial. It's just a matter of how much stock you actually put into it. There will be some things you can see on the the game broadcast or on TV, and there's other things you can't see until you actually get – um, the, uh, the 
the the the, right, the regular copy of the film. Nick, putting the Carolina game in the rearview mirror, what were some of the things you saw that you actually liked in that game? I know you, you have to win these games, but there were some positives on the evening, and what were some of them that stuck out to you? There were. We were competitive there for most of the game. Uh, we played, I would say, through three quarters. It was a one-score game going into the fourth quarter. So we had some opportunities. We were able to – you know, we were able to move the ball to a certain point. We had a nice long drive there in whatever quarter it was. We were able to execute there at the end of the half. So some of the end-of-half execution, uh, that worked out well. Uh, so offensively, we didn't turn the ball over necessarily. I mean, there were, the ball was out a little bit, but we didn't turn the ball over. So I think that was one thing that it certainly was an improvement relative to previous weeks. So I would say collectively as a team, we did enough good things, but not enough good things in the end to come out with a victory. And, you know, they made more plays than we did in the end, and ultimately that was the result. Nick, you talked about pass rush a little bit, getting the ball out. It felt like there was a period there from about oh, probably <clears throat> mid-second quarter on into the third quarter where it felt like every time Sam went back to pass, he was going to have a Texan in his lap. What do you think of that overall group and what you've seen from that defensive line getting the heat with a lot of times just four guys? Yeah, different players have been productive at different points. So anytime you can put pressure on a quarterback with four players and not having to bring an extra player, uh, it makes it a little bit easier on everybody involved. So those guys have done a good job. BK has done a good job with that group. And, you know, the system that Lovey has in place allows those guys an opportunity to – you get after the quarterback. It's there are certain times maybe the pass rush lanes could have been a little bit better, could have been a little bit cleaner, and allowed the quarterback to get out of the pocket. But there are things I think when you go back and look at the game, and even going back to the previous game, and even the Jacksonville game, there's certainly things that we can learn from and improve on. And the most important thing for us is to identify what those things are, try to make some incremental improvements moving forward, and see if that translates into some success on the scoreboard. Nick Davis Mills, you draft him in the spring. He gets his first real action during training camp, practice, games, and then the second half against Cleveland, then a start on primetime TV against a, a hot team. What do you make of what you saw out of Davis? Didn't turn the ball over through the touchdown pass, but overall with Davis Mills. Yeah, some good things, some, some plays that – collectively as a team we probably would like to do a little bit better but for the most part I was able to run the offense get in and out of the huddle make uh, handle the communication at the line of scrimmage really knowing where to go with the football uh you know was under duress at, at some different points but I think his toughness standing in a pocket and withstanding you know some hits uh I don't think it's a really surprise anybody necessarily but for the most part on a short week handled some of the circumstances I think the overall again execution as a team I think we can do better uh, and the more reps we get together, the more reps that he gets under center in real life game situations will benefit everybody. Nick, you don't see a lot of quarterbacks in the NFL slamming helmets. They seem pretty even keeled for the most part, but it feels like Davis is almost so even keeled. You wouldn't know whether he threw a touchdown or five interceptions. How does that unflappable nature, how did that, how much did that attract you when you were looking at him in the draft and bringing him here that he just is so completely unflappable, like he is so calm seemingly at all times? There's going to be ups and downs during the course of any football game. So you're going to have some good plays, you're going to have some bad plays, and the, really the ability to take what happened on that particular play and then just move to the next play and realize that what happened in a previous play doesn't necessarily impact the next play or even future plays. As a, from an overall mindset, whether it's a quarterback or whether it's your team, those are things that are important to do. And so he's shown the capacity to be able to do those types of things. And really it's more a, a, from a team mentality, a team mindset, being able to do that, really a next play type of mentality, understand what happened, and then try to make the uh, improvement or adjustment on the next play and realize that the game is going to be moving forward because what happened in the first quarter 
necessarily is going to have an impact on what happens the second, third, and fourth quarter unless there's some schematically that we have to adjust and you might see something and have some visual recognition and say, well, you know what, that looks similar to this look. Maybe that's a trigger to alert me to do something with a football. Nick, we know you want to move the ball on the ground. What's it going to take to run the football better? Yeah, really a collective effort with everybody. Everybody's involved in the running game, so it's mm-hmm. the offensive line, it's the backs, it's the tight end. So just our overall execution. We've had moments where we've had some success running the ball. There's been some good runs. There's been some, I don't want to say explosive runs, but some plus runs. And then we've had some other runs where have been zero to – haven't been too many minus yard runs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so really it's it's everybody involved. It's getting the hat on a hat in a running game, understand the blocking scheme, setting up the blocks, the backs helping the line, the line helping the backs, the tight ends are involved in that the mic identification from the quarterback so we can get the distribution of blockers properly. Those are all things that everybody has a hand in, so it's really going to take everybody to get um, to get the ball moving forward and to have success running the football. Nick, over the last three years, you have an opportunity to see Josh Allen up close twice a year. From the time that you saw him first as a rookie to where you saw him last year, what's what's been the biggest thing in his progress? What do you think about Josh Allen and how difficult a challenge is he because of his size and his ability to run? Yeah, as a team, it's a massive challenge in terms of his individual growth and development. Really, the biggest thing is consistency and is, is the turnovers and take yeah. care of the football. He's explosive on so many different levels, explosive arm. He's really hard to tackle. I mean, this is a big, strong guy that's hard to tackle, hard to get your hands around. And the offense has evolved through the years. Brian Dable has done a great job with that offense, and they've kind of catered some things to Josh and the things that he does well, and they have a lot of good skill players around him. And, and Josh is – from the time he was drafted to, to, to now, he's shown continual improvement on a year-over-year basis. So you've seen him make a jump from year one to year two, year two to year three, and three to four. So really, he's a very talented player that does a lot of things well, and they have a really good team on, on both sides of the football. Yeah, what about their defense? Because they have a lot of guys who have been together, and now they've added to the mix as well. They really make it hard on the offense. They don't give up a lot of big plays. They play eight or nine defensive linemen. They've drafted, um, I want to say, four or five players in the first and second round over the past over many years, whether it's Rousseau and Basham this year. They drafted Epinesa a few years ago. Their two linebackers are arguably two of the, the best linebackers in the league. Milano doesn't have a lot of talk about him. He's a really good football player. He's very instinctive, creates a lot of negative plays. He's tough as hell. He's instinctive. He runs well. And those two linebackers, him and Edmonds, are on the field essentially for every snap. They're really a nickel defense. So Teron Johnson, their slot corner, he's been in the system now for four or five, or however many years it's been. And then Poyer and Hyde have really been mainstays since they signed when Sean took over. So they have a lot of continuity on that side of the ball. They're very instinctive. They make you earn it. They don't give up a lot of big plays. Their system is, I don't want to say simple. There's a lot. It's They don't do a lot in terms of – number of personnel groupings and necessarily fronts but they have a lot of variety within what they do and it makes it really hard on the offense you mentioned one word that stuck out to me because in going back and watching them this week I'm like man it feels like they've all been together for so long I mean when when Poyer and Hyde came over in free agency in I think 17 they seemingly have all been together and they've added some pieces how valuable you mentioned the word continuity how valuable is that to achieve for that defense and how important will that be for for you to establish here in Houston. Yeah, anytime you have a group of players together for a long period of time, it makes it a lot easier because each year you get more comfortable with the scheme, you get more comfortable with vernacular and the language and a call and what the communication means. They talked about it, uh, the Hyde and, and, and Poyer talked about it going back to 17 and 18, just the importance of disguise within their scheme. So you have two players, especially in the back part of the defense, that understand what that means. And Leslie's done a great job. Sean and Leslie – 
Leslie, you know, has a big hand in what they do defensively. Obviously, Sean has a defensive background and implemented some of the things that he did um, in Carolina, even going back to Jimmy Johnson was when he was in Philadelphia. So when you have that many players that have played together, they understand kind of the intricacies of the defense, what they can and can't do, and you throw in Tredavious on the perimeter. So they have a good perimeter corner, two good safeties, two good linebackers, and they have eight or nine players on the defensive line that they can roll through, and they put a lot of stress on the offense. What about the environment? As Johnny said, you've been up there a lot. So what's it like to play in Buffalo? Texans don't go up there very much. And being in the division, you're very familiar. It's hard. Having been in the division. It, it, it's, it's really hard. Their fans are, I mean, as good as fans as any in the NFL. They make it hard on the offense. It's loud. They're into football. Midwest, blue collar. When it's, it's funny. When you drive into the stadium, you go through. It's like a mini town. It's a little bit like Green Bay in that mm-hmm. respect. So mm-hmm. kind of Midwest, blue collar. You go through kind of a mini town, and all of a sudden, here's the stadium. So yeah. they love their bills. They're into it, and they've given the fans a lot to uh, enjoy here over the past for many years. And they make it hard on the opposing team, which is the way it should be when you go on a road. Stephon Diggs, a guy that added to Josh Allen in 2020. You saw Allen's kind of growth go along with Stephon Diggs. He's obviously very explosive, but that receiving core is kind of interesting because it's Diggs and some other guys maybe you haven't heard of, but it feels like together they work very well with Josh. What are your thoughts? They do. They complement each other very well. I mean, Stephon is as good a receiver as he does everything well. I mean, he's fast. He's strong. He's tough. He has really good hands. He's a good route runner. Cole does a really good job inside the formation, so that plays to his strengths, and this offense caters to the inside the formation player. Last year it was John Brown and, and Gabe Davis. This year it's Emmanuel and Gabe Davis, so – they really have four receivers. Then you put McKenzie into the mix, who they yeah. find ways to get him the ball. So they put a lot of stress on the defense, both vertically and horizontally, and everybody has a, a, a unique niche in, in, in the offense and executes their role ver- really well. So, again, it's a, it's a massive challenge in front of us offensively. Good quarterback, multiple good receivers. The backs are good. And, then, you know, when Knox is on the field, he's a problem as well. You mentioned the long weekend and rest for the players, but you get that extra Monday practice. And I know it's not an all-out practice, but it's something going into a big week like this. How much does that help? It's really a mental day. So you Mm -hmm. try to go back, and maybe there's some things that popped up over the last game or the last few weeks. So just review them, go through them. Really, Monday was more of a mental day more than anything else. So come in, get a workout, and start the preparations, kind of start that clock. And then Wednesday we'll transition to back to a normal week, and we're Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then Saturday we'll get on the plane and go to Buffalo, and we're ready to go. Hopefully. All right. Nick, thanks so much for joining us. Good luck. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. So I'm going to give you a little bit of a peek behind a curtain, so to speak. When I do television, or we do television with – uh, in particular, Drew Doherty. He has a certain thing that he does to tell us, hey, we got a break. Because a lot of times, Drew's the one wearing IFB, talking to our buddy Tyler Marcotte, to know on time, and we don't know. And so sometimes, if we're kind of droning on about something, Drew will do something to let us know, hey, you wrap up what you're doing so we can get to the next topic or whatever. We're doing that interview with Nick Casario. Nick did that same thing, and I thought, oh, man, did he not want me to talk about that or not? And then I realized, no, he actually was just had something sort of going on that it just so happened that he gave me the same sort of signal that we get from Drew. So uh, that was uh, good stuff there from Nick Casario, and thankfully he was not sending signals, a la our good friend Drew Doherty. Now, our other good friend is DP Sidhu, and she goes behind enemy sidelines every single week, and this week – from buffalobills.com, Maddie Glab 
going one-on-one with D.P. Sidhu with our Behind Enemy Sidelines interview right here on Texas All Access Next. Access Next. Access Next. Most of you out there listening who have listened to me in the past know that I was a teacher way, way many years ago, and I loved it. I absolutely loved teaching, loved everything about it. My parents were teachers, so I'm calling all of you Houston area teachers. You want to bring a little Texans football to your classrooms, then I've got something for you you have to use. Sign up for Toro's Math Drills, presented by our good friends at ConocoPhillips. Toro's Math Drills is a video series designed to help third and fourth graders learn how to tackle math in the classroom. All you got to do is go to HoustonTexas.com slash Toro's Math Drills to learn more. And I'm telling you, it is the absolute right thing to do. Welcome back to this Wednesday edition of Texas All Access. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter, former calculus teacher, former Algebra 2 teacher, former Trig teacher, uh, former Algebra 1 teacher. I, th- I think I taught every single math. I actually taught AP Calculus BC. Could not do it today. But I would learn if you gave me a couple weeks and I'd be ready to go. That said, I'm not teaching. Maybe teaching football, which is fun as well. But our good friend D.P. Sidhu, well, she's not teaching either. She would have been a great teacher. But she is one of the best interviewers we're going to find. And she had a chance to catch up with Maddie Glab, who covers the Bills for Bills.com. And they sat down and talked about this matchup coming up on Sunday. DP, take it away. It's Enemy Sidelines presented by Microsoft. My guest this week, Buffalo Bills team reporter, Maddie Glab. So glad to have you on, Maddie. It's the Texans up at Buffalo. A lot of familiarity with these two head coaches, Sean McDermott and David Culley. So, you know, what have they been saying about this Texans team and, and David Culley coming up there this week? Yeah, I mean, I feel like every time we play an opponent, uh, last week it was the Washington football team and Sean McDermott has a lot of ties with Ron Rivera. And so every every week, it's almost like there's someone new who, who there's a close tie with Sean McDermott or someone on our coaching staff. So Coach McDermott definitely reminisced a little bit uh, with David Culley and in, in what he brought to the Buffalo Bills and uh, what they had together in Philadelphia, which is where they kind of started their connection on. So I feel like when you have those types of connections, you go back to the playbook, you figure out, okay, maybe what is some of the similar stuff that was in it there? Do we need to change some things up here for week four? Yeah. And David Culley is going to face Josh Allen, who he was a quarterback's coach there during Allen's rookie season. So here's Josh Allen. He already had a strong 2020 performance, but he's coming off that record setting performance against the Washington football team. 358 yards passing, four touchdowns, one rushing touchdown. I mean, I know expectations were high for Josh Allen this year, but has he done anything that's really surprised you this year? I think what has surprised me the most, and it's not like I haven't seen this from Josh so far, but just the poise that he's had to start the season. I mean, he starts off week one and week two, and his completion percentage is below 60%. And some of the stats are rivaling stats from his first two seasons as an NFL quarterback. And so it's quick to think, you know, what is wrong with him? What's going on with the offense? Is he going to come back and return to this player that we saw last year? And Here he comes in week three and has that breakout game that a lot of fans uh, and media members, at least people who work for the team, were hoping for. And so I think it was nice to just see him snap back into it as quickly as he did. He didn't seem worried about it. The offense didn't seem worried about it. He had a lot of poise and showed a lot of confidence, I thought, even 
through those first three weeks, his team had his back. And so I'm just looking for him to continue on what he did during the 2020 season and carry it into 2021. I think that's something that's going to be surprising to me is to see if he can sustain what he did last year and keep it consistent because some of the numbers he put up last year were just incredible. He broke so many single season records through for so many yards, had a great completion percentage, uh, had a bunch of 300 yard games, had a Another one last week. So I think the consistency, if he can keep it going, is going to surprise me, which I, I believe he can do it because he's just that type of athlete. All right. Well, he made a lot of headlines in training camp when he signed that contract extension with the Bills, a six-year contract extension. He's now one of the highest paid players in the NFL. But a few weeks ago, when the Bills shut out the Dolphins 35 to nothing, I saw a press conference clip of Josh Allen saying that he could have played better. So what sort of expectations does Allen have on himself after signing that contract? And what sort of expectations do the bills have for the 2021 season? I think it's, it's pretty simple. It might not be simple in what the task actually is, but it's simple in the fact that they have repeated this so many times. When you ask Josh Allen about his goals being the Buffalo bills quarterback, it's to get to the Super Bowl. It's to be a world champion. That's what the Buffalo Bills drafted him to do. There's a lot of pressure and weight on his shoulders, but he is performing really well. He has the weapons around him that he needs to be able to have this high-powered, efficient, uh, high-scoring offense that they had last year. They have the defense uh, that has been holding up for them so far through three weeks. That's a very forceful defense that likes to take the ball away. So I think the expectations are high for this group. There's no no one that has higher expectations than they do inside of that locker room. Uh, so they they believe that they can go far in the season. They made it to the AFC championship game last year, lost to the Kansas city chiefs. They're letting that fuel them a little bit this year. They, if you ask them, they say they're still angry about that loss and they're letting their anger take them into this season. Uh, so they have high hopes. They have high expectations and, and rightfully so because their play backs up what they want to do. Well, it was a rough start, though, to the 2021 season. They lost to Pittsburgh in week one. Um, everyone was sort of surprised that they came out the way that they did. But, of course, they turn around, they win the last two games. But after that week one game, how did Sean McDermott get his team back on track? What did, what was the message to the team? How did the players sort of regroup after that week one loss? Yeah, that week one loss was a little bit uncharacteristic for the Buffalo Bills. They only scored 16 points, uh, which is rare. They had some special teams issues, some problems, which led to a touchdown for the Pittsburgh Steelers. So you take a touchdown off the board for the Pittsburgh Steelers, that game gets a lot closer. Uh, but one thing I think that the Bills were lacking in that game and one thing that the defense owned up to was that they didn't have any takeaways against the Steelers. The Steelers have an incredible defense uh, with TJ Watt and they have a really strong defensive front. And in the last two games that the Buffalo Bills had played against the Steelers, they were both wins, but they were wins because they had takeaways. And so that was something that they were missing in that game. So I think you pair the takeaways with the inefficiency of the offense and they were able to do that in week two and week three. Their offense looked better as they went on in the season against the Dolphins and then against the Washington football team. And the defense has had takeaways in the last two games and not just one takeaway. It's been multiple takeaways for this group. All right. Yeah. The last two weeks, it seems like the fast starts have really been happening for the Bills. Uh, got up to a 21-0 lead against the Washington football team and obviously the shutout against the Dolphins. 
Has the offensive coordinator there, Brian Dable, has he done anything differently to get this team off to fast starts? What do you what do you think is behind them getting out ahead and, and scoring early? I think the fast starts is, is part of their identity. It's, it's something that uh, they did last year as well. And I think the way that Brian Dayball puts his offense together is for the strengths of his playmakers. He wants to run plays that put guys in good situations. He is not afraid of listening to his weapons, listening to Josh Allen to see, to understand, hey, uh, this didn't work for us. Let's try something new this week. Or, hey, we really like this play. Let's let's put it in again this week. Or I have an idea. Uh, what do you think about using this against the Houston Texans? Uh, he really listens to his players and, and lets them kind of help create this offense. And so I think what you see on Sundays or when game day is, I think you see an offense that, that really suits every single person on the team. And I think the fast starts scoring on the first drive, uh, it's been because they've had those small plays uh, that help Josh Allen get into a rhythm. Uh, they start out small and then they, they get going with some bigger chunk plays. But I think it's just getting Josh in that rhythm, getting his confidence up early that has really helped this offense out to the fast start that it's had now averaging over 31 points a game through three weeks. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure having this core of wide receivers certainly helps with the fast starts and with Josh Allen's performance. When you look at the numbers, they added 12-year veteran Emmanuel Sanders this offseason. But when you look at his numbers with Cole Beasley and Stefan Diggs, they're so close. Sanders and Beasley both have 194 yards receiving. Diggs has 191 yards receiving. I'm not sure if I've ever seen three receivers uh, with so many yards receiving and so close to one another, but is there a true number one target for the bills? I mean, how do they spread? I know they spread the ball around really well, but you see an emerging number one target for the bills. I mean, last year was Stefan Diggs. He led the league in receptions and receiving yards this year. He's not off to the start that he was, but I think that's just because he was the guy last year. And a lot of defenses have a lot of tape on him and with the weapons, with the amount of receivers and running backs that this offense has, it's nice to spread the ball out because it, it makes it tougher for the defense to scheme up against so many different weapons, not just different weapons in position groups, but like different weapons in the variety that they provide to the Buffalo Bills offense. So at this point, I don't think there's a number one wide receiver just because they've been spreading the ball out to so many people from Cole to Emmanuel to Stefan to even our tight end Dawson Knox. So I think at this point, and we'll see as, as the season goes on, but right now it, it seemed like seems like pick your poison as to who has the hot hand each game. All right, let's talk about that Bills defense. Five takeaways in the last two games, including two for touchdowns. I mean, we've heard so much about this Bills front, the Bills secondary, but what do you think is the true strength of this Bills defense? I mean, I think it starts up front. This is a pass rush that is new and improved from last year. They were not happy with the pressure the pass rush was getting with four people. Uh, so they go on draft. Greg Rousseau in the first round uh, to add him to the group. And he's had two sacks throughout the last three weeks. He had those two sacks against the Miami Dolphins. So exciting for him to have a nice start to the season uh, and see some of that payoff that he's had from all the hard work he, he did during training camp. But I think not just the front four, it's the rotation that they also have. This is a defensive line that is going to rotate through all eight players who are active 
active on game day. And so they're wearing out offensive lines who are in the game for more than 50% of the time. So they're throwing fresh legs at an offensive line throughout the game. So I think that's really what sets the tone up front. And then on the back end, you have two incredible linebackers in Matt Milano and Tremaine Edmonds, who are a force. Uh, Matt Milano has forced recovered two fumbles in the last two games. And so he's someone who's kind of been all over the field for this defense. He ties for the NFL lead with six TFLs right now. And then you go to our secondary, Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer. They both had interceptions last week against the Washington football team. So this is a very mature defense who has been together for multiple years now. And I think it's that maturity and the continuity that allows them to play at the level that they're playing at right now. It's going to be a big challenge for Davis Mills, uh, rookie quarterback for the Texans in his second start. Maddie, what other storylines are you guys working on or looking at this week as the Texans get ready for the Bills? I've got to say one player that I'm really excited about so far this year is our tight end Dawson Knox. He is someone who almost was a a quarterback. When you look back to his college days, he played at Ole Miss, didn't have uh, too much time as a tight end. And so his stats were slim, Uh, but the Buffalo Bills, when they drafted him, thought that this guy could be a great tight end for the team and for what they need from a tight end in their offense. And his first two years, he struggled a bit with some drops, uh, with some drops that come in bad times and some drops that you think this guy should be catching the football. He's an NFL tight end. And so he's really taken that to heart during the off seasons, worked with a hand eye coordination coach, and he's taken that to the next level this off season, because this year uh, he looks like a different tight end. He's catching really tough balls uh, that I don't think he would catch last year. So he's had a nice start. He's not a number one target by any means, but he's had some really impressive catches to start the season. And that's what Josh Allen has kind of been lacking so far as an NFL quarterback. He hasn't had that tight end. He hasn't had that Travis Kelsey or George Kittle in the offense. Not that Dawson Knox is going to be that this year, but he really hasn't had a tight end that he can lean on. So if he can lean on Dawson Knox throughout this year, I think that helps Josh Josh Allen elevate his game and take it to the next level. Just one more guy that he can go to. All right. Good stuff. Maddie Glab, team reporter for the Buffalo Bills. Maddie, appreciate the time. Look forward to seeing you on Sunday. Thanks, DP. Great stuff there from, of course, our good friend DP Cedar, but also Maddie Glab, team reporter for the Buffalo Bills. Speaking of the Bills, we kick off the second hour of each and every Wednesday, all access with our men behind the mics. You know for the Houston Texans, that is the longtime voice and the only voice the Texans have had, Mark Vandermeer. And for the Bills, it's longtime voice John Murphy, a good friend we've gotten to know over the years. Vandermeer and Murphy, men behind the mics, next on Texans All Access. Next on Texans All Access. Next on Texans. We got one hour down and one hour left to go on this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst and sideline reporter, and so glad to be a part of our Texans game day radio network and I tell you that and I'm not this is no advertising advertisement or anything like that but because of the segment we're about to have if you're an SEC football fan or you're a broadcasting fan you've got to see the documentary the SEC network put out called more than a voice it is absolutely phenomenal I and, I and I've had a number of friends. My friend Brady Ackerman used to be the sideline reporter with Mick Hubert at the University of Florida. Uh, my buddy uh, Richard Cross is now the sideline reporter at Ole Miss 
with David Kellum. Uh, Matt Wyatt, who's former quarterback at Mississippi State, another good friend of mine, he is the uh, color analyst for Mississippi State football. So I know a few of the, the people in that conference. Um, I know, obviously, the people at, at Texas A&M as well. This documentary is awesome. And it just talks about radio and the voice and what the voice can mean. Well, I know these next two gentlemen would watch that documentary and they would, I know they would both say, boy, I hope I have that impact on my fan bases. I know they do. I know both of them. Obviously, I know Mark very, very well. He's like my older brother from another mother. And John Murphy, the play-by-play voice of the Bills, we've got to know over the years. And silent reporter Sal Capaccio is a great friend of mine. So it feels like it's always very friendly when we catch up. But I know that we all really value the, the world of broadcasting and doing a great game day broadcast. And that's what this documentary did. I mean, it's fantastic. I'm just, if you get a chance to see it, go see it. Because I know that Mark and John would absolutely love doing that. And they love catching up with one another. Here it is, man behind the mics, Mark Vandermeer with a Bills play-by-play voice, John Murphy. Joining us right now, John Murphy, voice of the Buffalo Bills. And, John, great to have you on. Great start for the Bills. How concerned were you after the opening day loss to the Steelers? Because since then, it's been back-to-back dominating victories. Yeah, I was slightly concerned, Mark. I'll be honest. I mean, that game, Pittsburgh, first of all, Pittsburgh's a 12-win season a year ago. So I kept that, you know, that adds some perspective to it. But uh, they blocked a punt and scored a touchdown on it, which turned out to be the eventual margin of victory, a seven-point loss. Uh, the Bills played all right, not great that day. They were good on defense, but especially, you know, they gave up the one touchdown. But especially on offense, they really had a lot of, I don't know, they just weren't set, you know, and they, they just didn't have their their act together. And that goes for Josh Allen in particular. They got it together the next week, week two in Miami, and then uh, had an, another great win this this past Sunday against Washington. But, yeah, I admit I was slightly concerned, mostly because, you know, mostly because the offense was kind of stalling in that first week. And then what was your level of surprise over the way you handled Miami? This is a divisional opponent. There you are on the road, and it was such a whitewash. Yeah, I, I don't know how to. I, I don't have. I don't hold Miami in the highest regard. You know, I think they're okay. I mean, and they won games last year too. What well, they won ten games last year, but uh, I, I don't know that their offense is up to snuff. You know, I don't think their quarterback is playing great, and he's got a long, long way to go. Um, they might even be playing better with Jacoby Brissett, to be honest. But um, that was a good win. The score kind of indicates that it was a blowout, and it was. It was never really in doubt. But I don't know if the Bills are 35 points better than anybody, and that's what they beat Miami by. Uh, so I was slightly surprised at how well they played. But, look, this Buffalo team is loaded. I guess the most surprising and maybe the best thing about their, their start so far is the way the defense has played. You know, we knew they were an explosive offense. They played that way a year ago, but the defense has been great. They showed it with the shutout at Miami. They really didn't give up a whole lot to Washington this past Sunday. I mean, there was a, a, a short touchdown drive after a kind of a funny kickoff. And I think the defense maybe is the one thing that takes most Bills fans by surprise how how strong and how well the defense has played. Yeah, and what do you attribute that to? They've got a nucleus that's been around for a while together. Yeah, I think the the big thing, I mean, they kind of jumped on it in the offseason. They said we got to rush the passer better, you know, coming off their AFC Championship game, lost to Kansas City when they put absolutely no pressure at all on Patrick Mahomes. 
they realized they had to get a better pass rush and they went out and got one. You know, their, their first two draft picks were defensive ends or defensive players. The one of them, Greg Russo is a defensive end number 50 and he started all three games. He's been great. A guy who opted out of his uh, senior year in college at university of Miami. He's a long, tall defensive end who teams have trouble blocking. He's picked up a couple of sacks already. He's really been a, a good find. Uh, so they've added Russo and really kind of beefed up the pass rush. Now they can go, you know, seven or eight uh, deep at defensive line and put waves of players in. I checked, uh, you know, I check them every week. But as far as the defensive line rotation, nobody gets more than 45% of the snaps. And even that's high, you know, they just rotate guys in throughout the entire game and get fresh legs in there. And they're getting contributions from almost all of them, almost all of the seven or eight who play. So that's been the, the big thing about the Bills, their, their defensive emergence as a, as a team that can rush the passer and is really doing a good job uh, against the run as well. John Murphy, voice of the Buffalo Bills, joining us. So Josh Allen last year takes that gigantic leap, and we're only three games into the season, but he had a gigantic game against Washington, and as we mentioned, two really positive weeks. So what are you seeing in Josh Allen this year, John? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question because every year through his, his brief NFL career, he's he's gotten better, you know, year to year. And he started out with a kind of a, a rough game against Pittsburgh, was not throwing the ball that well, not that accurately, and not making good decisions, but he came around in the Miami game and then really exploded, you know, this past Sunday against Washington. And I think Josh is, if he can improve at the same rate he has for his first uh, three years in the league, he's going to be great. Uh, it remains to be seen how good he'll be this year. Certainly teams will adjust how they play him and, and defense the uh, defend him differently. But uh, Josh is a hard worker. Um, he was almost despondent last Wednesday talking about how poorly he had played against Miami. And, you know, he really didn't play that bad. I mean, he, he led the offense to a five-touchdown performance against the Dolphins, and he's up there three days later talking about how awful he was. Well, I didn't think he was that awful, but uh, he was throwing the ball with authority. He had zip on the ball. He's making quick decisions. He got a big assist, I think, from offense coordinator Brian Dable, who called a near-perfect game plan against, uh, against Washington Sunday. So uh, I, it remains to be seen. I think he's awfully good, and if he can improve even slightly over what he was last year, he'll be one of the best quarterbacks in the league. All right, allow me to indulge in a Ken Dorsey question here because I was yeah. the voice of the Hurricanes when he was the quarterback, and I find it interesting that he was the quarterback's coach when Cam Newton was going really well in Carolina, and now he's here with Josh Allen, and these guys are very different from the kind of QB he was, but what's he contributing yeah. to the equation? Oh, he's a lot. I mean, you know him. He's cerebral, right? He's, he's kind of quiet, soft-spoken, but he's thinking all the time. Um, I think he would love another crack at being an offensive coordinator in the NFL, and he just might get it, you know, sooner rather than later. I mean, Dayball's done such a good job again this year, and Dayball has interviewed for head coaching jobs. He didn't get much of a chance this past offseason, but he'll get a chance to be a head coach soon, I think. And when he does, I think uh, Dorsey's the, you know, next man in line to be offensive coordinator here or maybe elsewhere. You know, I think uh, he has Josh's ear. I mean, he's got a good quarterback room. They added Mitchell Trubisky to the quarterback room this year, the former Bears first-round draft pick, and Trubisky fits right in. You know, they're kind of quiet and unassuming, and you don't get a whole lot of, of chatter from uh, Ken Dorsey, but I know that uh, he chatters to Josh Allen, and I think he's got his ear. I think he's a great uh, listener for Josh Allen, and Josh immediately goes over to him when he comes off the field, and, you know, they look at the video together and kind of make up their mind what, what comes next. I think, he's, I think Dorsey's a great quarterback coach. I really do. John Murphy, voice of the Buffalo Bills, joining us on Texans Radio. How do the Bills fans remember Terod Taylor? Now, Terod's out right now. He's on IR. But 
He's very well liked around here, and I was wondering what the memories are. I know he led you on that playoff run for the first time yep. in, what was it, 17 years. So 17. Tell, us, <laughs> tell us about the, the fan relationship there in Western New York with Terod. Yeah, I think the fans are, are fond of him. I think, um, you know, I think everybody could see his limitations. And, uh, and after 17 years out of the playoffs, any quarterback who could take him to the playoffs certainly uh, uh, wins the admiration of the fans. Uh, but I think people can see that he might not be, and maybe he will become, but he's probably not going to be a franchise uh, quarterback and a guy that can lead his team to multiple playoff runs and, and perhaps championships. He's just limited, you know, but uh, I think he's gutty. Certainly he would uh, run when it was not the best thing to do. And he would uh, make plays when, uh, you know, he kind of put himself at risk, which is probably why he's out now. But I think people liked him. I mean, he was always, always said the right thing, always did the right thing, um, kind of kept to himself many times. But I, I think people have a, a great, I think, look, I think people are kind of, not upset, but I think they're a little disappointed that he won't play against the Bills this week. I think folks would have liked to seen him play, um, just as they did this past Sunday when Ryan Fitzpatrick did not play for Washington against the Bills. Two guys who, you know, were limited but uh, were well liked in in the terms of in terms of what the fans thought of them for sure. If you had to describe the difference that Sean McDermott has made, other than the wins and losses, which is the biggest thing, I mean that's the end result on the balance sheet here in the NFL. But what was it you saw right away that's really working out right now as his as his career continues as head coach? Yeah, you know it's a good question. I think it's focus. You know he gets his team to focus on what's important. And the loss to Pittsburgh was was tough to open the season, but there was no panic. I mean they kind of just focused on uh, problems to fix and and stuff to address. And they did it. You know, they're a very well, they usually are a very well-focused team. In fact, they're always a well-focused team. They're usually ready to play and ready to play hard. Uh, McDermott kind of, you know how it is in the NFL. There's so much stuff going on and so many potential distractions. And McDermott has a way of kind of pushing that off to the side and getting his team to focus on what's important. And that's how they played this coming Sunday. He's not a, a tough taskmaster. I don't think he's a disciplinarian in many respects, but he does have a certain standard that he expects players to adhere to and they do and i think he's he's found a way to tap into uh the players i mean look no matter what era no matter what age these players are they all love to win and mcdermott has found a way a way to tap into that love of winning for these players and saying you want to win do this you want to win do that and i think they respond to that and he, he's been great he's really uh he, he's, it's amazing how focused he is on, on a daily basis if not weekly John, I know everyone asks you about Josh Allen and, you know, the main points about the Buffalo Bills and their success, but what's something, some aspect of the team or some player or something that's not getting enough ink, that's not getting enough pub outside of Western New York that people aren't noticing about this Buffalo Bills team? Yeah, this year's team, I think the defense might be getting, uh, uh, you know, getting away from people. They just don't get it, but they've been great defensively. The shutout against Miami, we talked about a couple of weeks ago. They gave up uh, three touchdowns, one of them totally garbage time touchdown last week against uh, Washington. But they're a really good defense. As I said, a, a great rotation of defensive linemen coming through, including uh, the rookie we talked about, uh, Greg Russo and and uh, Jerry Hughes is still going strong. Two really good defense. Matt Milano is getting uh, – I think he's under the radar. The former Bills draft pick now uh, got a fairly big contract this offseason. He's in his fifth year, and he's he was great this past Sunday. And he plays outside linebacker. Tremaine Edmonds plays inside. 
and, and the back end of the defense, led by a couple of safeties, Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer and Tredavious White, the Pro Bowl cornerback. I just think the defense might be a surprise to people. And you put that defense on the field with the, the explosive offense they can put out there, they're, they're, they're a formidable opponent for sure. So what are people in Buffalo saying about the Texans? What's the view of the Houston Texans right now, especially since in recent history, a couple of frustrating losses for the Bills and most notably in the playoffs capping the 2019 season? Yeah, I mean, I don't, you know, to be honest, can I be totally honest? People you can are be honest. Kind of, <laughs> people are not putting it in the win column, but they think, okay, we'll probably beat Houston. Is all right. That's not bulletin board material, but I think the, I'm not talking about the Bills, but fans are thinking right. they'll probably beat Houston. And then the next week is the big matchup at, at Kansas City. Mm-hmm. And that's a rematch of the AFC Championship game. I think. Most folks are kind of looking ahead and thinking, all right, let's let's get by Houston and get the win we probably will get against uh, Houston. And then, you know, it's home and, you know, they're without their top quarterbacks and, and then let's get to Kansas City. So I think that's the approach most people have. I'll tell you, uh, Washington is not a great team either. They, they went to the playoffs last year, but there was such a great, almost festive atmosphere in the stadium last week. You'll probably see more of it this coming Sunday too. I think a lot of it is the fact that, Fans were not in attendance last year, and they missed all the good times that were going on in, in the, the stadium in Orchard Park. And I think many fans just enjoy being there again. And, and in, no matter who the Bills are playing, they enjoy having a game where the Bills are playing well. And I think they anticipate that will happen again. Okay. So you're saying it's a look-ahead factor. I'm just kidding around. Uh, we'll see what happens. <laughs> Got them right where we want them. Uh, we'll see how it plays out. I did out. say it's the fans who think that way, right? I understand. I it completely, completely. <laughs> okay. John, I always enjoy the visits and look forward to seeing you in the booth on Sunday. All right. Thanks, Mark. You know, the Bills had such a great year in 2020, and it's well known their fan base, Bills Mafia, is as good as it gets. I mean, that playoff game, there were Bills jerseys everywhere. I mean, it was unbelievable what that Bills fan base um, has, has been through to get to this point. And then they get to a season in 2020 in which they can't be in the stands. State of New York said, nope, can't do it. And then for the playoffs – they, they relaxed it a little bit. I think they let about 10, 10% in, which was like 6,700, 7,000 people, something like that, uh, for the playoff game they had against the, against the Colts. Uh, and then, oh, and then also for the playoff win against the Baltimore Ravens. And I talked to, to Sal about that, and it was the one thing he brought up about 2020. He's like, look, man, 2020 was such a great season. Uh, and they didn't travel. I, I, I did. Um, and obviously 2020 was not a great season for us. But talking to Sal about that, he's like, man, it was such a great season. To be at home for those playoff games, it just stunk that the Bills fans weren't able to be in the building uh, for that one because they are such an ardent fan base. But they will be in the building on Sunday, and they will be loud. There's no doubt. I love going there. Been there once in 2015. Didn't win the game. A uh, quarterback by the name of Tyrod Taylor had one of his better games uh, against the Texans and walked out of there. I think it was a 30-21 to 21 win uh, for the Bills in that one. But I loved their stadium. I loved everything about it. The weather was great. Now, it does look like it might rain at the beginning of the day and maybe hold off by the time we get to kickoff. That's all that matters. Just got to get the kickoff dry and we'll be okay after that point. But we will uh, see as the week transpires. But either way, it's a fun environment. Can't wait to get up there to Orchard Park and see those Bills. And a big thanks to John Murphy for joining us joining us next is going to be my good friend drew doherty he stops by each and every week for our in the lab podcast it is badass you will love it we'll have some of that for you next right here on texans all access
Welcome back to this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texan Radio Studio. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst and sideline reporter. It's time for our Schlumberger Stats Challenge. You want more information, go to HoustonTexans.com to learn more about taking the Schlumberger Stats Challenge. And I give you these numbers. 32-23. What do those stats imply? Well, 32 is the number of targets that Brandon Cooks has had in three games this year. That's 10.67, almost 11. One more target, and he'd be at 11 targets per game, which is essentially what he had against the Carolina Panthers. 23, the number of receptions he has through three games. Now, uh, I don't math so good kind of on the fly anymore. I used to be really good at it. I used to be, but I'm not as much. However, if I did my calculator real fast, he's projected at those numbers. If I'm doing on-pace guy, Schlumberger Stats Challenge, that would be 130 receptions for Brandon Cooks. Now, in his career, he has been absolutely phenomenal, um, but he's not been at 130 receptions. In fact, I think only a couple of players in the history of the game have ever been at 130. Now, that's if he maintains his pace, but... Take a listen to these numbers for Brandon Cooks. Let's start back November 15, 2020. Man, you could go back even further. Hold on. Let's go back even further. Let's go back to Jacksonville. That was October 11, 2020. So that was the first game after Bill O'Brien had been fired. Now, the week before, Brandon had three targets, no catches. From that day forward, eight receptions, nine receptions, seven receptions, he had three, but he did have a long touchdown against Jacksonville. Then six, four, five, five, six, seven, eleven, five, nine, nine. That's a lot of freaking receptions in less than one season, uh, if I'm being honest. In the first three games of last year, he had ten receptions. He had nine in the Carolina game alone. So in the first four games, actually, because he had zero in the fourth. So he had ten receptions in the first four games over the next 12 games I should say 11 games because he didn't play against uh, Chicago he then had 71 receptions so 71 plus 18 is 89 94 he said 94 receptions in 15 games he is on a blazing blazing pace Uh, and that's Brandon Cooks doing a phenomenal job to start the year two 100 yard games Um, This year, the one game he didn't have 100 yards, he had a touchdown that was against Cleveland. He has been phenomenal to start this game, and that is your Slumberjay Stats Challenge. All right, let's get into In the Lab with my good friend Drew Doherty. We sit down each and every week, and we just kind of wax poetic about what's coming up for the Texans, who's on the docket, who they're playing, our thoughts about recent games and players. We try to dive a little deeper uh, than just the surface and kind of geek out a little bit. So here you go, in the lab with Drew Doherty and myself. John, it was interesting last week when we did this, we made the distinction that, yes, Davis Mills is going to operate out of the same playbook 
but there will be different packages for Davis Mills as opposed to what Tyrod Taylor did and what the Texans expected. Now, based off of what David Culley said on Monday, that playbook or those packages will be exactly what they would be for Taylor. I still think there's a limit there, but I do think, and he said it, there's going to be more on Davis Mills's plate against Buffalo, and that kind of needs to happen, as we saw against Carolina. There was a limit on this offense, and, and that helped Carolina win the game. Also, you know, there were some problems defensively that the of Texans course. didn't get. But on the whole, Davis Mills acquitted himself okay, lose the game, so you can't say it was a great game, but he looked solid, and he was accurate, more accurate than he'd yeah. ever been in any preseason game in certainly during the Cleveland game. I mean, it was 67, 68% completion rate, which is excellent. But what does this mean for him? There will be more on his plate. How much more do you think there will be, John? Because yes, there is extra time, but they were off on Saturday and Sunday. Yeah. Monday was a walkthrough. So how much more actually is added to this plate of Davis Mills? Here's the way I look at it, Drew. When I was, when I was teaching and I would, I would tell the kids, all right, look, we got a test on Thursday and it's going to be, which over... by the way, which by the way, that's a good day for a test, a Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday, good day for a test. Cause you ruin a weekend. If you make it on a Monday and you ruin the rest of the week, if you make it on a Friday, Friday should be fun teachers. Okay. No. And also if you are a, a business person out there, don't schedule any meetings on a Friday after 11 AM. That's selfish of you. So just don't do it. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. I will say, uh, at my at my school, actually, there's a couple of schools that I was at. They would give you test days, and you would look and see, okay, when do I have a Friday test day? And so you'd have two days you could pick from. And like, I'm trying, I'm not gonna put this on Friday if I can help it, if I can help it. So, anyways, point being, when you get ready for that test, and I, I would remember, you know, writing. I mean, I wrote hundreds of tests over the years, and okay, it's on chapter twelve, say. And I would go through that and I would, there would be times where I would say, okay, I want to test every single little nuance of chapter 12 and see whether they got it. And then there would be times where I'm like, you know what, I need to test because the timing of the six weeks or nine weeks, I got to get a test in. But you know what, I kind of want them to just kind of have this 30,000 foot view of what's going on. And I don't want to hit everything. There's certain things I don't think are as important. So let's just hit on those things. And so that's kind of the way I look at I look at Davis Mills in, in, in the way that they went about, you know, getting him ready for that game. Look, it's getting ready for the Panthers. So you've got to learn all the, the minutia about the Panthers. So let's take a lot of that stuff that you learned that we could have during the week. Honestly, recycled, that's the wrong word. But we could have brought back up that you learned in training camp. We don't quite have the time to kind of go back and, Hey, do you remember this? Do you remember this? Do you remember this? Do you remember this? Right. And then put that all in a week's time. Yeah, I think you could do that. Or in this case, you know, a little longer than a week. I think you could give the full minutia of chapter 12, if you will. Whereas in the short amount of time, I think, man, you got to just hit the, you got to hit the basis, the ba the basics of it. So that's kind of the way I look at it. I also look at offense when, you know, with various quarterbacks too, I kind of look at, at, um, kind of game planning is that you've got like a set of encyclopedias. Now I know a lot of people don't know what an encyclopedia is because you know, we've, you know, you just had to get on the internets now. Um, look, it's I was like a, a world book guy. Anyways, well, encyclopedias 
were the, were the best because you could, hey, I want to learn about um, bounce houses. Well, I would go to the B and pull it out and I would use that. So it's kind of like that. Like, you know what? We're getting ready for this game. We've got this whole set of encyclopedias. That's our offense. But we're going to use this piece, this piece, this piece, this piece. And there are certain pieces in that encyclopedia set that really aren't going to apply to every player or, in, in this case, every quarterback. You know, the D's may not apply really for Davis because it's just not his purview. You know, maybe that's some of your RPO package stuff. Maybe there's some stuff in there you could take and tweak, but you're probably not going to, that's not going to be a, a one of the set of encyclopedias you use, you know, with Davis. Although, is there a way you could tweak it? Okay. Is there a part of this that we could take and kind of edit and use? And so you just kind of take down the pieces for what you think Davis is going to be able to handle and of course, you've studied all this from the preseason, the training camp preseason of what he can do. So you're kind of putting that all together, but you get to a point where you're like, look, Davis, we haven't gotten to the to the W section of the encyclopedias, but the, these are things that you need. So we're going to we're going to work on these during the week. But this is a package that really suits you. We haven't really put it in yet, but we need you to be able to learn it. And that's kind of the next step in, in the development is, yeah. We're going to go and take all those things you learned the preseason. But now we might add a little bit from this section, a little bit from this section. And yeah, it might be different than Tyrod's. It might be um, because Tyrod's got a little different skill set, but there are going to be some things that are similar. So the things that are similar, you coach them the same, you coach them amongst the players the same, but then there are going to be specific ones. Hey, with Davis, we might want to do this. With Tyrod, we might have the opportunity to do this. What you, what you can't do. And, and I, and I, can tell you this from from experience is look at your your quarterback and go okay he can't do this and and then kind of take it out of your game plan and I I did that once um I had a young quarterback and he was a really he was a really good runner and he was a he was a good thrower but he was young and so I really kind of tailored my offense towards towards running the ball and I kind of took some things out of kind of our 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 play scheme in in our playbook because I wasn't I just felt like it suited everybody to run the ball a bit better and he Mm -hmm. came to me one day and he said coach can I ask you a question I said sure he said how come we don't use a couple of those those uh, those passing concepts we did during training camp and I didn't want to tell him I'm not totally sure that I trust you with it yet but I'm like I don't know man I, I think we're better served running the ball well we got we got behind in the game and I was kind of forced to have to do it. And he lit it up. And I'm like, okay, well, all right, I guess we'll add this to our offensive scheme. And we became very, very dangerous at that point. But sometimes even as a coach, you don't even totally understand what your guy can do. And as soon as you can find it out, great. And then you can adapt from that point. But I guarantee you every single coach with, with his quarterback has figured something out along the way going, huh. Really? I didn't know he could do I didn't know yeah. he could do that. I didn't know he could make that throw. I didn't know he could run like that. I didn't know he could read this defense. I didn't know he could do those. You're gonna you'll find those things out. And look, who's the greatest of all times? Tom Brady. I guarantee you the Patriots, for as much as they'd like to say twenty years later, oh, they knew what they had with Tom. They had no idea how he no. was gonna handle everything. They were they were learning like, wow, huh, this dude's pretty tough. I kind of like his, his swagger, his confidence. I kind of like all of that. They were, they were like, you learn all of that when you have 
mm-hmm. uh, a young a young quarterback that you're you're trying to groom, of course, and that's what Davis is. Yeah, you just brought up confidence, and that's something that Mills has always had, uh, at least since he's been here, and, I, and clearly yep. he had it before he got here. But he doesn't lack any of that, and he wants to keep playing. He wants to keep getting out there, and and he's thankful for this opportunity. And he also puts the caveat out there: hey, you know, I don't I don't want anybody getting hurt to get this opportunity, but. He's glad he's out there and you got to remember was still just a dozen college starts, give or take Uh, it's yeah. He's a little bit behind the eight ball, but he's getting that experience on the job that on the job training, but he does not shy away from anything. And he's almost got, you know, a, a robot mentality in that when he makes a mistake, it's like, don't make that again. And you know, it's fixed. And that's one thing, one of the many things that, David Cully and Nick Casario and, and the rest of the, the guys up top have really loved about him. I mean, Cully is, Cully is very enthusiastic about him, both on camera and off camera. I mean, he's, he really likes what Davis Mills can do. So this is, um, is going to be a test, man, going up to Buffalo yeah. with, with that team. They're, they're good. They're really good. He talked about it. Uh, Cully did all three phases. So they're going to they're gonna get tested and tested mightily in Western New York. But no doubt let's go let's go uh let's go get it and see what happens yeah, Mil- mills, no doubt. mills is going to get to cut it loose a little bit more no and, and to your point you can look at every young quarterback that has you know played in this this league and every single one of those quarterbacks has gone through you know growing pains i know some will say well mahomes jumped right in and was the mvp well, he got to sit the sat, entire first year Sat for yeah he sat for a year yeah um, but even beyond that, there were times in the in the Super Bowl season where you know he's got an ankle injury and he can't really move. Right. Yeah. You know, and and the Texans went up there and stuck it to him. You know, so did the Colts and 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 not just him, just you know the whole the whole team. Um, you know, and so they had to learn. You know, how do you how do you adapt to that? What do you what do you do with Patrick if he's banged up? Every quarterback has gone through that. I mean, I can think of times with everyone. The guy that we're facing on Sunday. Everybody looks at us as MVP oh. candidate. You know, guy's going to win the Super Bowl. There's no I bowl of cherries was, when he was a, a rookie, man. It was not right. easy for him. You, you remember that game in 2018. Now, yeah. he didn't throw the game-winning pick to Jonathan Joseph. That was Nathan Peterman. But in that game, got blasted. he was completely and totally frustrated. Yeah. He didn't have anything going in, in his direction. That was a learning point for him. The playoff game, the second half against us, where he just crumbled. Um, he was, well, and to be fair, crumbled, but he, he kind of got handcuffed a little bit too. I think he got a little handcuffed by the coaching, you know, he did a little bit, but he also made a couple of mistakes. Sure, go, sure. Man. But all that's added to his, his learning experience. And I've said this many, many times and quarterbacks a little bit different, but if you have uber talented player that wants to be great, Greatness is what they see, not just I won this game or well, look yeah. at me, I got this brand and look at my logo and whatever else. If you have a guy that wants to be great beyond all else, he wants to be great for his community, he wants to be great for his teammates, he wants to be a great teammate, he wants to be great. And you combine that with, with uber talent like he has. I'm convinced, and this is, I think, ultimately why I think back to my, my worst draft miss, and that was Dwayne Brown, because that was the one thing I missed about Dwayne. He was uber talented. He had elite skills and there were things that he could work on and get better. He wanted it. He wanted it badly. Josh Allen wants it badly. Now that's, it doesn't happen all the time because there's, there are always injuries or there's other things, you know, coaching around you. I mean, good Lord. 
Um, you know, you look at, you know, Sam Darnold. I mean, he was stuck in the, the, the Jets world and then he gets mm-hmm. out of it, you know. But, but you could tell Sam wants it. He wants to be a really good quarterback in this league. And so going to, to, to be with Jay Bur- So, yeah, there are some things that have to kind of intersect. But if you're uber talented and you want it, you really, truly will do what it takes to be great. You'll eventually get there. And if, you know, as they say, if you shoot for the moon, you land in the stars. Hey, man, that's, that's pretty darn good for a lot of people. And, you know, I see Davis like that. Davis has got a lot of talents. Now, he's not 6'6", 240 like Josh Allen. But he's still pretty dang big, has, though. He's still pretty yes, big. Yeah. Yes. As people pointed out his neck um, uh, on Twitter the day of the game. That said, you can tell even with Davis being as even keeled as he is, you know, and you can tell he wants it and he wants to be great. Yeah. All right. Well, you're pretty great, too. And as yes, a coral, thank you. As a corollary to your, your encyclopedia reference, when you when you bring that up, you want to say, hey, what is East Germany? Or, hey, what are cheetahs? <laughs> That's a good way because East Germany doesn't exist. East Germany yeah. was kind of going out of fashion the same time encyclopedias were maybe That's a little a bit point. before. But, yeah. Anyhow, hey, we'll do this again next week. Hope we're talking about a Texans win and getting ready for a big game against, Ooh. let's look at the schedule, the Patriots here at home. It's going to be fun. I know we're not going to be looking ahead. I know the Patriots game has been a big one the last couple of years, a game the Texans have won the last couple of years. In fact, in the last two years beating the Patriots, they have beat a league MVP in back-to-back years. Tom Brady has been a league MVP a handful of times, and Cam Newton was a league MVP in 2015. The Texans beat them in back-to-back years in 2019-2020. I don't think Mac Jones is going to be a league MVP this year, but that's for next week. Well, we'll have to worry about next week because we could be playing the league MVP in 2021 on Sunday, that being Josh Allen, who I don't believe has ever had any issue with his knees. But I know our Houston Methodist doctors know all there is to know about knees and knee injuries. We'll hear from them and go around the league next right here on Texans All Access. We got one final segment this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. I am your host, John Harris. Glad to be with you as always. My Know Your Foe article, take it on the Buffalo Bills, up at HoustonTexans.com. Go check that out. I will uh, probably tweet it. If I haven't tweeted it already, I'll probably retweet it and put it out there. Uh, let you know where you can find it. It's a really good football team, man. Sunday is going to be a big, big, big challenge. But hopefully, hopefully... We will see two guys that we didn't get a chance to see on Thursday night, that being Justin Reed and Kamu Grugier-Hill, arguably two of the top three or four players the Texans have had through the first couple games of the season, and we missed them dearly on Thursday night against the Carolina Panthers, both of them dealing with knee issues. Well, when you have an issue as such, you want to learn a little bit more about what's going on you go to the great doctors at Houston Methodist, as Mark Vandermeer does each and every week, and here's what they had to say about knee injuries. It's Houston Methodist Minutes, and joining us this week is Dr. Taylor Brown, arthroscopic surgery and sports medicine expert at Houston Methodist. Doctor, how's it going? I'm having a great day. Thanks for calling, Mark. All right, well, tell me about ACL injuries, the latest technology. What is going on as far as recovery, surgery, those kinds of things in 2021 for us? Uh, Surgery uh, remains a primary treatment for patients and players with ACL injuries. We still use uh, autograft tendon, which is a portion of the patella tendon, but now we're 
becoming more and more popular with the quadricep tendon as well, because we've seen good results with that in high-level athletes as well. And then the uh, one of the most exciting things that uh, the research at Houston Methodist has shown in the last couple of years is blood flow restriction therapy, where we limit the blood flow to the patient's uh, limb after surgery in an effort to uh, help the recovery of muscle function and strength far faster than traditional physical therapy. And so that's where some of the recent changes in therapy have helped to speed up recovery of function. Why would reduced blood flow help with that? I would think you'd want more blood flowing through. Is it a swelling thing? And so it's a, it, it's really, it's the nerve, the way the nerves and the muscles recover from that. It's almost like an, an extra injury, but somehow it stimulates the nerves and the muscles to recover more quickly. And this is just for a brief period of time. And the, and the patients work through their rehab with the tourniquet on their leg, restricting their blood flow. And so it actually is somewhat painful. But the response that we have seen with, uh, with blinded research is that they help to recover their strength more quickly. All right, so we've seen an increase or a decrease, really, in the amount of time it takes to recover from an ACL surgical procedure. Uh, do you anticipate that getting even better with treatments like this in the near future or immediately? It is definitely a way to gain muscle strength, but we still are humans and we still have to have the tissue actually incorporate into the bone, and that is still going to take a long time. And the other thing is balance. We need that neuromuscular balance to recover, and that is not stimulated with the blood flow restriction therapy. And so neuromuscular recovery needs to have all of those facets, not just the strength, but also the, the balance to recover and to return successfully. Because if you try to go back to sport too soon, you have a high risk of another ACL injury. And that's the last thing we want for these players. So what's the best prevention for an ACL tear, doctor? So what we have found that plyometric or what are known as jumping programs can help to decrease the uh, incidence or the, the number of ACL tears in our players. And so you'll see that in all levels of sports, both in high school, college and professional, that folks that do agility and balance and jump training can reduce their risk of an ACL injury. And so that is a inexpensive modality that we can put in place. There are numerous programs on the internet that are available that uh, coaches and trainers can then use for their players and most likely keep their players in the game and not out because we all know ACL injuries are season-ending injuries. Great information, doctor. Thanks so much for your time. Have a great day. That's Dr. Taylor Brown, Houston Methodist, the official health care provider of the Houston Texans. To find more information about Houston Methodist, log on to HoustonMethodist.org. Houston Methodist, leading medicine. Big thanks to Mark Vandermeer and to Dr. Taylor Brown, who I probably should go see at some point, trying to fix these knees that were ravaged by years of playing catcher uh, when I was younger, way, way back in the day. The more I think about it, man, I don't know how uh, I don't know how I just squatted and stood, squatted and stood, squatted and stood. That's gotta take I mean, that's gotta take some toll on your knees, I would imagine. But not worried about my knees. We're worried about Justin Reed and Kamu Grugier Hill. And hopefully those guys will get on the field on Sunday against the Buffalo Bills. They are sorely and desperately needed on the field. Well, a guy that is needed on the field desperately in a different location is Richard Sherman. Tampa Bay Buccaneers dealing with a number of injuries at the cornerback position. Jamal Dean uh, had been banged up, uh, and I think Carlton Davis was banged up a little bit 
as well. So they were in desperate need of corners. And so Richard Sherman signed a one-year contract, $2.25 million, $500,000 guaranteed. They put wide receiver Scotty Miller dealing with some turf toe, put him on the injured reserve, which made room for Richard Sherman on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers roster. And, of course, of course, you saw the memes of Tom Brady taking a knee in the Super Bowl, Richard Sherman trying to shake his hand. They are now teammates. And apparently, Tom Brady reaching out to Richard Sherman to try and bring him there. Tom Brady did not reach out to Josh Gordon, although they've played together in New England. Josh Gordon is signing with the Kansas City Chiefs. It does not look like he is going to play this week in the Andy Reid special, a.k.a. Chiefs v. Eagles. Don't look for Josh Gordon just yet. This one, AFC South, we need to keep an eye on. Tennessee Titans could be without both Julio Jones and A.J. Brown. Oh, my goodness. It's the Jets. God dang it. Why couldn't that game be against the Rams uh, or the Cardinals or the Jets? And that's probably why that they're going to miss this game is because it's the freaking Jets, and the Jets are not very good. So uh, it does look like A.J. Brown, Julio Jones, could very well miss that week four game against the New York Jets. Chester Rogers had a touchdown last week, so he'll step up. And Nick Westbrook-Akine also had a touchdown uh, for the Titans the other day. So I think the Titans will be okay because 22 is still running the rock. So just a few nuggets around the NFL in addition to our Houston Methodist Minutes to finish us up here on this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. Appreciate everybody involved on the show. Appreciate Mark and Nick Casario. Drew Doherty joined me as well. You had DP Sidhu with Matty Glab, John Murphy as we went men behind the mics, and you guys were here. And that makes me happy. Thank you very much uh, to Jimmy Mudd keeping us uh, on the straight and narrow tonight. He's the best. We'll see you all tomorrow. And as always, go Texans.